The Cosmic Void. Onward it stretches into infinity, matched in depth and vastness by but one thing, the human imagination. We present now a story from this, the greater of two endless realms. Join us as we enter a gate beyond. This week on Agape Beyond, we offer you a nice, tall, refreshing glass of water to cleanse your palate after partaking of the Thanksgiving leftovers. But before you drink it, try to imagine a reality wherein this, the most common element on Earth, suddenly and inexplicably becomes deadly. Taken from the collection Negative Space 2, A Return to Survival Horror, edited by Eric Sundquist, copyright 2023. This is entitled... Eight Glasses by Scott McCloskey. <laughs> it's still raining. She's still crying. The name tag has the letters S-E on it. Not Stephanie. Not Sasha. Not Sarah, Sophie, or Sandra. Serena, maybe? The rest of it is covered in bits of desiccated awful that I don't have the stomach to even touch, much less wipe away. Could be Serafina, but I guess I'll never know. The other girl... The one in the apron and cocktail dress still drooling with Serena's remains is in no condition to enlighten me. Mascara dribbles down her cheeks like tar. She's crumpled in a corner like a waste basket full of all of the bad resumes that probably kept her in this job. The doctor's checking her. She's rubbing rope burns into her dry arms like she just came in from a downpour, and I don't even think she knows that she's still babbling. She was just... Sitting on the toilet, the water, it put her up on the ceiling, straight through her, out of her mouth, and she just exploded. Oh, God, get it off. There's a tug at my pants leg. Miss Terry, is that lady okay? Damn. I rushed back here so fast I forgot to keep him out of it. I block the door with my body and turn him away. The kid's name is Boomer. The lop-eared mutt is Toby. You'd think it'd be the other way around, but whatever. He's got a Bay Sox hat on his head, and the last crunch bar known to man in his fist. She's fine, I lie. She just fell asleep. Had a bad dream. The boy giggles conspiratorially. <laughs> that happened to me when I was pooping once. I'm sure it did, kid. How is your name and not a nickname? I lead him out of the back room. The dog follows. My mom's supposed to pick me up, Miss Terry. You'll know her when you see her. She has a green jacket and a funny bag with a bunch of real diamonds on it. Boomer's trained well. It took half an hour of stranger danger just to get him to talk to me. 
Now I'm the only one he'll talk to. She's gonna be a while yet, champ, I lie again, as I lead him on a different route to the bar, away from the front windows where Sal's red neon lights make the homicidal raindrops look like thousands of baleful eyes. One of the piles of twisted soaking gore out there has some swatches of green cotton woven into it. There's a gaudy CZ and a rhinestone purse lying nearby. I guess I'm Boomer's mom now. Mother Teresa. Shit. Sal is a small, quiet man, but he runs a nice place. That extra little bit of spick and span, and a few more bubbles in the champagne that makes it feel like stuff from the middle shelf actually came from the top. His girls are half my age and wait tables with cleavage to spare, but the poles in the back are just to keep the roof from falling on us. Classy. There's some soft Mel Torme in the background. The velvet fog goes well with the film noir haze from the humid torrent outside. Smoky amber lights match the color of the drinks, and the salty snacks are in all of their bowls, waiting to conquer our palates for the glory of their master. Sal's got a gut so round and handlebars so thick that he looks like the baritone in a barbershop quartet. Just needs the funny hat. Something for you, Terry? Son of a bitch can ask that like it's any old night. I'm so exasperated, so appalled, so envious of his nonchalance that I tell him off with one word. Soda. Scotch and soda it is. Soda, I snipe, gesturing to the little boy innocently talking to his dog next to me. Sal nods. The girl in the back is drowning Mel out with her panicked wails. If you don't listen, or look outside, or go to the bathroom, it seems like a pretty normal night. I stare at clear fizz sizzling on the rim of my glass. Sal lays his hand on my shoulder. It's from the batch last week. Should be okay. Whatever. I wasn't afraid to drink it. As the second person to discover what was left of Serena, or maybe Serafina, I was just trying to decide if it would be better to choke my drink down first, so I'd have a convenient place to throw up. The girl in the back goes silent, and the little string bean man with the coke bottle glasses who is tending her emerges. I glance at him obliquely in the mirror behind the bar. I look like crap, by the way. A sedative was in order, he explains to the room. Yeah? You got some of that for the rest of us, Doc? The greasy man in pinstripes with the gold ring, cigar, and comb-over jiggles on his bar stool. Why is there always a greasy man with a gold ring, cigar, and a comb-over at the end of the world? It's like he's Jesus or St. Peter or something. You can't meet your maker without meeting this guy first. How's about we fill her up with arsenic or some of those old cyanide pills like in the Bond movies? He says. He's kidding. Probably. Maybe. The doctor's practice is across the street. Not that any of us can get there. He takes off his glasses to rub the bridge of his nose and bellies up to the bar for some life's blood. You're a grotesque person, Mr. Cannon. Yeah, yeah, that's what they'll call all the realists, Cannon Bellows. You'll be wishing you took my advice before long. Might as well make it quick for all of us. I can't listen to this again. I try to turn away. My eyes may be sore, but nowhere is a sight for them. I don't want to look at my reflection. The longer I stare at myself in the mirror, the more I can feel the onion layers of my psyche peel back. I'm terrified of what might be waiting for me at the rotted core of my sanity. I don't want to look at the kid because I can't help but see him dead. So I look outside. 
At least the goop doesn't look human anymore. I can pretend it never was. I ducked into Sal's to calm my nerves after a day at the office. Boomer was waiting for his mom by the bus stop. Sal basically lives here, and the doctor's office is right across the street. We few, plus the scant patrons that a place like Sal's can expect while the sun is still up, were the only players to make it to the set. It all happened so fast. So much screaming. Nobody else had a snowball's chance. Now they're all lying along the darkened street and stuffed into the parking lot. Piles of sludge that look like ashes pulled out of a mop bucket and rolled in the entrails of ancient mummies. That was the better part of a week ago. Doctor. Sal doesn't want to ask the question again, but he also does. What do you think? The doctor's head is in his hands. We all know he doesn't have an answer. What sort of answer can there be for this that wouldn't get you committed? Cannon lifts his whiskey. Don't you know? It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Set him up, Joe. My name's not Joe, Sal quips. It don't matter what your name is. Sling the sauce. I don't open my mouth, because it probably doesn't matter what any of our names are, and the very idea of agreeing with Cannon makes me want to barf again. Sal raises a brow drolly at the four empty glasses already in front of St. Peter. You planning to start a tab, mister? Start a tab? Start a... <laughs> Cannon explodes. Meltor May is no match. Would you listen to this guy? You're a riot, Pops. Tell you what, here... He pulls out a fat wallet, opens it, and begins to shake out its contents on the bar. You want you want some C-notes? Greenbacks? Dosh? How about some plastic? I got 50 G's clear on my Amex, so how much booze does that buy? This whole place, I bet. Don't leave home without it, right? Well, I don't. So set them the fuck up. I cover Boomer's ears. On any other day, Sal would have cut a man off, but there's no fight in him now. He quietly pours out another round, which Cannon and the doctor partake liberally of. I cluck my tongue and pull the barman over. What do we have left? Booze, half a pitcher of iced tea, and a couple tins of beer nuts. Is that all? Don't you serve actual food here, too? Shipment was supposed to come the day after this started. All the perishables are already dead. If I put the freezer on the generator, we'd have been lights out days ago. The velvet fog and the lights are just there to make us feel human. Believe it or not, there's something more important to keep power running to than a freezer full of food, and we both know it. Fuel? Last can. Couple of hours left, probably. We can't survive on liquor and Sprite. What about the kid? Better he learn to tie one on at an early age than drink the water and... Sal can't finish. Behind our cold, glassy stairs, I know we're seeing the same memories. Flesh literally washing off of wet bones and draining into the gutters like white rapids. Kevin, the bank teller, who dried out to a husk after drinking a glass from the tap. Serena, or whatever her name was, ripped in half in the bathroom and left to bleach in the fluorescent sun.
We have to get out of here, I point out for the thousandth time. This whole town backs up to a floodplain and it's been pouring for days. You said yourself that when nature gets serious, either the sump pump keeps running or you end up with ten inches in the basement. And that basement is really shallow. Sal plays with the radio. Static is expected. Trawling up and down the dial probably makes him feel like he's doing something. It's water, Terry. Goddamn water. Where do you think you can go? There has to be somewhere to go. The mountains, maybe. Flooding isn't the problem here. Sal hisses. How long do you think people can survive without water? The thing that makes us live has decided to start making us die. This isn't some goddamn zombie movie. There's no shotgun or fireman's axe that can save you from water. Hey, hey! Cannon interrupts. Where'd y'all put the can, huh? You can't use the bathrooms anymore. The doctor reminds the bulbous, wealthy drunkard. We had to pack them with the sandbags just to keep the water from seeping out through the doors. It's not safe there now. Cannon jerks his meaty head around. So what? You want all to take a whiz in the kitchen sink or something? Maybe you could lean up against the wall and bicycle kick it down your own throat so you'll shut up for a couple seconds, I state plainly. How about that? Cannon's expression goes from confusion to rage back to inebriated confusion. Hey, what's your deal, babe? Time of the month for that fine ass? <laughs> Her bodies are mostly water. The doctor offers by way of changing the subject. I can't explain it, but it's like the water out there is taking our water away from us. Everywhere it touches, instead of our skin absorbing it, it absorbs the moisture in the opposite direction, and we dry out. Completely immersed, we collapse into the few piles of solids that make up the rest of our bodies in a matter of seconds. It's out to get us, Sal says. Like that movie where plants got tired of people and went inside their heads to make them all kill themselves. Water is sick of being trapped inside human beings and wants to take back what it gave us. Hardly scientific, sir, the doctor mutters. Water has no sentience. Ain't it the truth? Sal snorts sarcastically. Wait, I cut in. Where's Boomer? The doctor, withered from fruitless efforts to save lives, sits idle while Sal and I go on the hunt. Days of sugary soda have made my teeth hurt and my heart race. Alcohol would only make the dry out worse, but it's clear that no one is coming to save us. So why am I prolonging the inevitable? It's because of the boy. Through some miracle, that kid managed to retain his innocence through all of this. And if I have nothing else to live for, keeping that precious flower in bloom is enough. Boomer and Toby are playing fetch in the hall that leads to the grim restroom. He looks up, hopefully. Is my mom here yet? Action Man Star Force is on at 11. Mom doesn't think I know about it, but if I miss it in the afternoon, sometimes I sneak out of bed with Toby to watch. I sigh. Either the kid has no conscious understanding of the passage of time, or he possesses the keen ability to quash his emotions under a crushing wave of numb, toxic optimism. Maybe it's both, but I envy him either way. I knit a quick yarn and open my mouth to let it out through my spinnerets, but a series of explosive pops coming from the direction of the bar derails me. We rush back to find Cannon with a snub nose in his fist and three rounds through the glass in the front door. Hungry water is splattering onto the welcome mat. What the hell are you doing? I shout. I got him! The grubby man slurs. You goddamn monsters! I got you! You ain't gonna top Eustace Bartholomew Cannon! I'm a card-carrying NRA Capricorn, and we don't take no shit off of nobody here! I race to cover the hole in the door with a parka, 
while Sal and the doctor deal with cannon. Raindrops dapple my arms. They're not boiling, but they sting like pinpricks of hot oil from a grill. Wherever they strike, they bead and run off, leaving the outer layer of my skin to slough off like a snake's. And to think I used to go for a run in a cold rain followed by a hot shower whenever I really needed to decompress. I'll probably never bathe again. I fight through the pain and duct tape the parka up. Sal and the doctor are having far less luck. Cannon is a large, solid man, and he's not out of ammo yet. I said I got him! Cannon repeats. So okay now, see? We can just take a shit out in the bushes like our forefathers. <laughs> I hear soft sobs behind me. Boomer has his arms wrapped around Toby, who sits up, tongue lolling thirstily by his young master's side. We can't go play outside no more, Toby. I hear the boy whimper with conviction. Don't worry. Mom taught me how to feed you right. And I'll make sure you get your pills twice a day when we get home. God damn it. The boy knew this entire time. He was being strong for me. His real mom must have been a troubled soul for a kid his age to have such a developed sense of empathy. The house of cards and lies I built for him was already soaking wet. All it took was an odious man with a revolver to finally gun it down. I feel my lips pull back in a snarl. Then go take a goddamn shit in the bushes already if that's what you want. Go do whatever you want and leave the rest of us the fuck alone. Oh, no, no, no. There might be spies, see? Sentries. Ones I missed. Ones you gotta go flush out first. I give him a defiant glare, but he laughs condescendingly. Not you, beautiful. You're gonna come with me afterwards. When I save the world, we're gonna be all Adam and Eve-like, you know? Bet you'd look great in a fig leaf. Mr. Cannon, listen to me, the doctor says in his softest bedside voice. You're suffering from extreme stress and acute hysteria. It's to be expected given the circumstances. I can help. This is the part in the film where the hero talks the rattled salaryman down from his perch on a gargoyle 17 floors up, but Cannon isn't interested in a happy ending. Instead, he empties the rest of his chambers into the doctor's chest and with a shower of silver glass particles, hurls his body clear through a window. The doctor is still alive when the water begins to power wash his flesh and organs away, like flies off of your windshield in a deluxe car wash. I rush to cover Boomer's ears again. I don't care how innocent he is. The gurgling and human screams coming from out front are enough to drive you mad faster than a Lovecraft character. A new roar violates my eardrums, and in the turning of a second, St. Eustace Bartholomew Cannon is no more. The gaping hole in his stomach spills out blood, liquor, and half-digested beer nuts as he topples backward out the window, another donation to the starving rain. The lack of renewed screams tells me that he died before he hit the ground. As sure as there's always a man like Cannon at the end of the world, there's always a shotgun behind the bar. This one smokes in Sal's shaky grasp before clattering to the floor when his paralyzed fingers give way. I... I didn't mean... He didn't give me a choice, I... The small puddles rapidly forming by the windows tear me away from Boomer. Sal, I say carefully. We have to block out the rain. Help me. Madre de Dio, I... I didn't mean to... I didn't have the choice. I'm a believer in the idea that a person always has a choice. 
I had a choice when I was a teenage puppy who knocked over a mini-mart because a tall drink of water wanted me to. <laughs> Fine choice of words, I know. I had a choice not to recognize an abusive relationship that bottled me up into my 30s, and when I did accept it, he had a choice to wander away with his tail between his legs, rather than admit that I was the better batterer. I had a chance to pop the girl-girl cherry of that brunette co-head who I never saw again after spring break. I had a choice to climb the corporate ladder until the only child I ever had time for was a boy in a Bay Sox hat that I stole from a dead woman. It's not a question of having a choice in the first place. It's about having the courage and wisdom to make the right one. After all the ones I made, I had no right to sit in judgment over Sal's. And no time to keep thinking about it. Sal, please, I need you to help me. We go at it with more duct tape and the remaining tarps that Sal keeps on hand for basement flooding. When it's over, we both look like we have major UV damage without even so much as a tan, but the puddles aren't getting any bigger. I bust out the mop and revenge myself as I round the water up into a rolling plastic POW camp. Two hours later, the power goes out, and Tormé's melted voice winds down to oblivion. What a world. The other surfer, whose name turns out to be Jamie, wakes up in the darkness of the stockroom and screeches her way to his stool. I stand in her service behind the bar while Boomer and Toby cavort around in an attempt to make her smile. That kid, I swear. Maybe youth isn't wasted on the young after all. How bad, I ask when Sal emerges from the basement steps with a candle. Yardstick wouldn't reach the floor by half, and rising. I turn back to pouring drinks by dancing firelight. Sal puts his hand on my shoulder like he always does when I wander in here with a long face. Derry, it's time to go. My jeep's in the back. Ever since I put that damn escape plan bug in Sal's ear, it's all his fatherly instinct will allow him to think about. The hard rain has already learned to find its way through clothes and even coats in seconds, but if we wrapped ourselves in plastic tarps and covered every open patch of skin in rubbing alcohol? Ugh. Seriously? You're coming too, I say. It's not for me. You did the right thing. Doesn't matter. He insists. Stop looking for selfish absolution and just come with us, I rumble. But Sal shakes his head. With a bum leg and my rheumatism, I wouldn't make it across the lot. This is my home anyway. It's nice you feel that way about your business, Sal, but- No! Sal points up. I mean I live in the loft upstairs. You didn't know that, huh? It certainly explains why I've never seen anyone else behind the bar, and I came in before noon once. Sal's wrinkles pull back in a wan smile. I'd rather be at home for this. It was a stupid, desperate, crazy plan that I wish I'd never suggested, but the cat was already out of the bag, and I had no right to stuff it back in. I glance at Jamie. Well? I don't want to die here. The cocktail waitress whispers. You're just as likely to die out there, I say. It's not true. Sal's place is a guaranteed slow death trap. His car is only probably one. Maybe we all do have a choice, but sometimes you're damned if you do, and damned if you don't. I had already decided to take Boomer away from here, but I won't have the girl slowing us down unless she's sure, and I won't make up her mind for her. I ask her again with my stare, and wait through several weak grimaces until I see a resolute nod. The boy lights up. You'll be okay, Miss Jamie. 
Toby here is the bestest therapy dog ever. He's been to see kids in the hospital with all kinds of stuff wrong, and they always get better. He'll protect us. I ruffle the kid's hair. Toby licks my hand. Magic dog, huh? Yeah! He's fine when I let him out to pee. What? All this time, I never thought to ask where the dog was doing his business, until Boomer tells me he's been letting Toby out back for it. The dog comes in wet but unharmed, and the kid's been savvy enough not to touch him until he shakes off. That's it. There's no science to any of this. By picking a specific target, I'm now convinced that water is more than just the source of life. It's alive in its own right, and recently made a conscious decision to cleanse the earth of humankind. I feel a prick on my neck, and look up to see a tiny drip forming in the ceiling. Had that fixed months ago, Sal comments. The water is learning, I explain with my epiphany. Imagine water that moves with a conscious purpose. There's nowhere it can't go. Fifteen minutes later, enough time to get ready but not enough to change our minds, Jamie, Boomer, Toby and I line up at the back door like sprinters at the starting line. The kid has a short stride. I'm already planning to scoop him up the moment we kick off. My entire body feels like a clammy hand stuck in a surgical glove for hours, and the crinkling noise that comes with every movement is louder than the rattle of Marley's ghost. The smell of 97 proof from the medicine cabinet burns my nostrils. In the distance, a blue wrangler waits to carry us off into the non-existent sunset. Andare con Dio, Terry. I hear Sal say from behind. Good luck. Keep that boy safe. My smile hasn't been enough to reassure me since I got here, but maybe it'll do something for them. On three. One. Two. Three. I don't know what I was expecting. Jamie trips half a dozen running paces from the door. Her plastic catches on the corner of a dumpster and rips to pieces, taking most of her skimpy dress with it. I turn when I hear her shriek, but it's far too late. Spikes from puddles lance out to impale her in eight places. The last one nails the back of her head to the dumpster wall, straight through the mouth. Panic in her eyes, I watch her drown, standing up as her scalp and matted hair begin to slip from her skull. She doesn't die in vain. Her sacrifice is the distraction that we need to stand a snowball's chance. I nab Boomer, pelt to the jeep, throw open the door, and dive in with Toby bounding behind. Fine time to wonder how we were all going to fit in here anyway. I tear the infected plastic off of the humans and spend the first minute and a half frantically shooing the soaking wet dog into the back where I cover him before he shakes us all to death. We both get burned plenty in the process, and Boomer finally starts to let out everything that he's been forcing down. I let him hug me while I fire up our chariot and punch the gas. There's no telling if the water tendrils have the strength to hold us by the ankles, and I'm not waiting around to find out. Around front, Sal waves from behind the candlelit bar as we speed off. Tendrils, angry at the loss of their quarry, are battering the place. Spider cracks have already formed all over the front windows. Why fight smarter when you can fight harder, I guess? We drive for a night and a day without stopping. When I stop recognizing the roads, I start to look for higher ground, but there's scarce little of that in this part of the country. A couple cans of cola and a bag of beer nuts sustain us. Boomer never quite recovers from his breakdown, 
and spends most of his time waffling between sleep and catatonia. Toby turns out to be such a good listener that I wonder why we can't all just marry dogs instead. Somewhere in the sticks I see the word dry, hastily scrawled on a banner hanging behind the windows of an elementary school gymnasium. I pull in, wondering if the message is an invitation or a cry for help, but the flash and spark of gunpowder tells me that we aren't welcome. In the rear view, I see scores of haunted, emaciated eyes watching us depart. Not one pair reaches more than six inches above the gymnasium windowsills. I don't stop anymore. If we drive far enough, long enough, we'll find the sun. It's only logical. Rain can't fall everywhere on Earth at the same time. Right? I listen to empty radio static while the drone of water pelting the roof makes me want to pull all of my, my hair out and scream until my lungs collapse. The gauge is a hair's breadth from empty. Boomer's asleep with his cap over his face. On a lonely coastal road with no guardrail, it would be so easy to just let the wheel slip. He wouldn't wake up, wouldn't have to feel it. It might be the nicest thing anyone's ever done for him. I'm motherfucking Mother Teresa, after all. There's nothing left on the radio but empty static. It's still raining. The rhythm of the drops on the roof is the prowling of a hungry beast, and deep inside I can't stop screaming. I'm so thirsty. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Gate Beyond. Join us again in two weeks for more tales of the unusual and otherworldly gathered from the farthest reaches of the human imagination. Until then, always go beyond. Produced and edited by Danny Atwell. A Gate Beyond is a production of Dark Charm Media. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.